We're going to continue our look at the School of Acts today. We, we launched a study here about four weeks ago into uh, the book of Acts. We're going to be there, um, the Acts of the Apostles. It follows the Gospel of John and our Bibles for like the next several months through Easter. It's the story of how Jesus changed lives and those first 30-ish years of people who were transformed by him, the difference it made in the world. And we see in there kind of this calling for how God wants to transform our lives and what he can do through us, even in our world today, to make a difference for him. And so it's going to be an exciting journey, and we, we're launching it with kind of this introductory series called The School of Acts. We're kind of taking traditional subjects in school and showing how we can kind of use those as a, a, a jumping off point into study of the book of Acts. We looked at orientation, the history of the kingdom, the language of the kingdom, and today we're going to look at the math of the kingdom and even if I, as I say the word math, uh, some of you have that feeling of dread inside of you. Uh, I don't like the word math. I struggled with math, like addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, no big deal. Fractions, integers, whatever those things are, sines and cosines, and I would never have made it were it not for Mr. Stuckwish, my junior and senior year high school uh, his, uh, math teacher. Like, he let me come to him nearly every day before school and even after school to tutor me to try to grasp those things. And I'm guessing there are other people like me in the room. Anyone else brave enough to say that you struggled with more complicated math? Yeah. I am so envious often of people whose brains just grasp um, complicated math. We actually have a gentleman who's a part of our church, and I didn't ask permission to share his name, so I won't, but really for a hobby and for fun... Uh, creates nearly insolvable math equations and then tries to solve them. Like, while you're streaming your favorite show on Netflix or watching something on TV, while you're playing in a, a football game, whether that's real on the turf or imaginary on a gaming console, like, this gentleman is staying up till 2 and 3 in the morning just creating equations he doesn't think can be solved and then solving them. He's a brilliant man, but like, that's what he does for fun, and there's a little bit of part of me that's kind of jealous, like, like I can't do that for fun. Um, I'm stuck with the other stuff. In math, no matter how far you made it in math, whether it's just through simple basic math or more complicated math, there kind of is a staple in the classroom, and I think it's still there. I mean, you guys are in the classroom now. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, there are like these word problems, right? Story problems where it tries to help you see how math has a practical application to everyday life. But here's the problem, at least my experience, is that those word problems weren't very practical, and they had very little to do with everyday life. Like, I'm sitting in first grade, and I learned that George bought 200 apples, and he sold 55 apples to Sheila, and we need to know how many apples George has left, and I can't even get to subtraction, so I'm trying to figure out, why does George need 200 apples, right? <laughs> what is George doing with 200 apples? What is Sheila doing with 55 apples? Because typically, those word problems, we kind of associate with the age that we are, I'm like, what first grader is buying 200 apples, right? Um, what would they need with that? Uh, or I'm thinking about, you know, some of those problems, you know, Craig rides his bike 17 miles to school, four miles into the journey, he stops at the convenience store to get snacks. I'm like, how many miles does he have left? I don't know, because Craig doesn't ever ride his bike 17 miles anywhere, right? And if I'm stopping for snacks, it's not coming four miles in, like maybe four feet into the journey for snacks. That's why I don't ride 17 miles. But the, the word problems didn't ever seem to be super practical for me. And I think that's, a, you know, uh, just 
a sad thing that maybe we should be more practical in our math classes, but if we think long enough, we realize that math is a part of everyday problem solving, isn't it? Just think about time management. You gotta figure out you have this many projects to do in this much time. How do you figure out how much time to spend in each one? There's, there's math, there's addition, there's subtraction, there's multiplication, there's division. When you just simply wanna set out for a destination, you know that you have to be at work by 8 a.m., you know that your house is 30 minutes from work, uh, you know you better leave at a certain time based upon traffic, and it's all math that takes place to kind of help you arrive at those conclusions to manage your time. Grocery shopping involves math. Um, maybe you're dealing with a lot bigger numbers than you were just like eight months ago when it comes to your grocery bill, or, or maybe even the estimation that comes into play. You're trying to figure out when do you have to get to the grocery store, and so you open up the door in the refrigerator, and you're like, okay, there's a half gallon of milk, if only two of us eat cereal the next three days, then, then we have enough milk to get us through so I can get to the grocery store another time. But that's all math that's helping you process that. How you, how you drive involves a lot of math and estimation. You know, you, you see that, you know, the lane is ending. Well, some of you see that the lane is ending. Some of you don't see that the lane is ending. And uh, you have your three-quarter ton dually that you think you can fit into a space of like six feet and you're brain is processing, right? How am I going to fit in there? What pace do I have to get to get up to the interchange and pass the slow car in front of me? Like, it's all estimation. Uh, even those of you that are athletes, like, you have math all the time in your calculations. You're playing football, and, and, and you're chasing uh, the receiver or the running back. Like, you are calculating. You may not realize it, but what angle do you need to take based upon the speed of that athlete and your speed? If you're playing quarterback, you have geometry in play. Like, what angle, what trajectory do I have to have to throw at? What speed does that throw have to come out of my hand? How much do I have to lead the receiver? It's all math. So math is practical for every day. Math is practical for big problems in our world. Just think about what happened with uh, Hurricane Ian this week and the devastation that we're still learning about. And by the way, um, we will probably in the early part of this week be able to share with you um, real opportunities for how you can get involved in, in helping uh, with the crisis uh, in Florida, maybe even the coastal Carolinas. Uh, we support a mission here, uh, a partnership that all of us give to. Whenever you give to LCC, 20% of everything goes outside of our doors. And one of those partners is IDES. International Disaster Emergency Services, and they are already on the ground working uh, in Florida. And so you are helping, but we'll probably give you some more tangible ways to help as the picture becomes more clear. But, but even with Hurricane Ian, we see math helping solve big problems. We would see an even greater tragic loss of life were it not for math, because people were in rooms crunching numbers about what happens when barometric pressure drops, when storms move over warm waters, and how does that result in the strengthening of a hurricane? People are plotting based upon wind speed and, and how the, the storm is moving, where its potential landfall will be, which leads to warnings and watches, and, and all the th those things help um, save life. And so math's a big part of that. It's a big problem like a hurricane. Even post, uh, you know, the hurricane making landfall and causing all the destruction, mass being used right now by rescue teams. How many more rescues can they make before they have to refuel? What's the capacity on the boat? What's the capacity on the helicopter? Uh, there, there, there are people spending hours crunching, like, how do we get this electrical grid back up and running? How many 
places, uh, other utility companies need to come in to help restore power to these devastated regions. That's all math. Math helps solve big problems. So kind of here's the question for us as we look at math in the school of Acts. Can math help us with the biggest problems of the human heart? I'm not talking about AFib. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, um, congestive heart failure. I'm not talking about blockages. But those matters of the heart, the heart, the, the, the place of decision-making, that place where we believe and have values, that, 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 that thing that helps us and directs us in how we treat one another and how we treat ourselves and how we view our place in this world. Can math help us address the problems of the human heart? Can math help us address jealousy and division and hatred and injustice? Can, can, can math help us when it comes to human trafficking? Can math help us when it comes to selfish ambition and um, lying and lust and purposelessness and meaninglessness and feelings of those things? Can math help us? Can math, is there a type of math that helps us address the human heart and maybe even create or be a part of creating a better world? A world that maybe is marked more by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. What we call the fruits of the spirit. Is there a math that can affect the human heart and to create some of the change and transformation that we long for? And probably on the surface, if you're like me, you're like, I'm not sure there's a math for that. Like, I don't know if there's an algebraic equation, if Pythagoras thought about that stuff enough. I don't even know who Pythagoras is, but it sounds like a math name. Um, I, I, but but is, there, is there a math that helps with this? And even though we may be inclined to say, no, there's not, the answer is yes, there is, because we see math hardwired in to the kingdom of God from the beginning of Scripture through the end of Scripture. And before we ever get to math in the book of Acts, I, I want to show you kind of where we see this math show up the first time because it's important. It's in Genesis chapter 1. God fuels his mission in this world, and math is a part of that. In Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation of the world, um, the creation of light and dark and sun and moon and stars and land and creatures in the sea and creatures on the land and creatures in the air. And we get to day six and God creates humankind. And here's what it says in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Um, and if we can leave the verses on the screen a little bit here. Uh, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I've, I've highlighted some stuff in there for you, um, but math shows up here. God creates humankind in his image, male and female, he creates them and he gives them an order. He says to be fruitful and increase in number. That word increase means to multiply. 
God is telling his people, I want you to be fruitful and to multiply. There's hints at math there. I want you to increase in number. I want you to grow in number. For what purpose? So that you will fill the earth and subdue it. That you will rule there. That you will bring my rule and my reign to every corner of creation I want you to multiply so that more people get to know who I am. I want you to multiply so that my rule, my reign moves throughout the earth. It's math for his mission. And even after the fall in the garden, when Adam and Eve sin, sin enters the world and it becomes part of our experience as human beings, we see God still emphasize this. You can fast forward to Genesis chapter nine, verse seven. We have the flood and the after effects of the flood, devastation, uh, all of humanity uh, wiped off except for Noah and his family. And in Genesis nine, seven, God gives a command to Noah. Again, he tells him to be fruitful and to increase in number, to move out throughout the earth. Math for his mission. You can fast forward to Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abram and he says, I'm gonna create a great nation through you. All peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Lurking in the shadows there is the math of his mission because later on God will tell Abraham that he will have offspring more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. Like you're going to multiply, but for what end? So that others can come to know about me, that their lives can be lived in submission to me and my truth and my ways, that they'll experience the very best of what it means to live in relationship with their creator and how that then affects our relationships with one another. It's math for his mission. Uh, Abraham and Sarah have Isaac, and then Isaac has sons, Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob becomes uh, the father of Israel. His name gets changed to Israel. He has his sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. We get to the end of Genesis, and the people of God are living in Egypt. You turn the page to Exodus chapter 1, and we find in the early verses of Exodus chapter 1 that God's people are increasing, they're multiplying, uh, even in Egypt. And then that term that's used there, again, for multiply, same word used in Genesis, it's a word that has to do with, like, how insects multiply. Um, maybe you experience this in the midst of, of your summer you enjoy nights on the patio, things are great, and then suddenly you go out there one night and it's like, where did these bugs come from? Like, like overnight, there are swarms of mosquitoes or flies, and it's just like, man, they populate like that. That's the word for multiply. That's what the Israels did in Egypt. Like the Israelites did in Egypt, they just multiplied and they were everywhere. And, and it put fear in the heart of Pharaoh. He enslaved them, but God uses that to increase the number of his people so that when God delivers them through Moses, they move in towards the promised land. And the hope is that all people will come to see who he is. There's several times when it talks about the, the Israelites and the promised land that they will have an effect on the people that live there, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, and the list the Ammonites, the Amorites. The list goes on and on. But the hope is that these people are changed. Their lives are lived in submission to God and his truth. And people see something different in them. And as they multiply, his influence, his rule, and his reign, it extends throughout the earth. And the rest of the story of God's people leading up to Jesus are stories of addition and subtraction and multiplication and division, all for God to achieve his purpose for the world to know who he is and to live in a relationship with him, a relationship that was broken by sin. And so we get to Jesus. Does it surprise us? that when Jesus lives and lives are changed and affected, that he would leave 
these closing instructions with his disciples. Uh, if you're familiar with the words in Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission, he says they're to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded them. That sure sounds a lot like fill the earth and subdue it. Go into all the world, make disciples, not just converts, help people come to apprentice me, learn from me like you're learning from me by immersing them, baptizing them, and then doing what? Teaching them that their hearts might be brought into submission to God, that their hearts might be subdued, that their passions might be brought into conformity with what he wants us to live for, the way we treat one another, the way we use our bodies, the way we handle our wealth. Like it's this, this powerful picture of God filling the earth, subduing human hearts, and leading humans to help other people as he works through them. The same thing shows up in Acts. We looked at this in week one as we looked at orientation. He tells them that they'll be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What is a witness again? It's someone who simply tells what they have seen and what they've heard. And so God will use his people who have been shaped and affected and changed to share him with other people. And as they do, guess what? The people of God multiply and they increase in number. They fill the earth and they bring it into submission to who God is. We are his witnesses. So it shouldn't surprise us as we turn through the pages of Acts that this math for a mission, this multiplication for the mission shows up all over the place. If you start in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 15, it tells us that in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So we start with post Jesus' resurrection, post his ascension, there are 120 dedicated followers of Jesus. We move to the end of Acts chapter 2, They've waited in Jerusalem. The Spirit has come upon them. We looked at that last week. Peter preaches a powerful message. Uh, the, the, the audience that's listening is cut to the heart. They've not been living their life aligned around Jesus. They've not been living their life in submission to Jesus, subdued by Jesus. And, and they're cut, and they're, they're affected. And so they decide to live differently. They surrender their lives to him. And this is what happens. Verse 41, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were what? Added. Math for the mission. Math in the kingdom of God. 3,000 are added. So people are living faithfully. God empowers them. They share it with others. They grab hold. Their lives begin to be affected. And now the multiplication is happening as God's influence, as God's reign, as God's kingdom is extended and expanded. You can look at the next few verses in Acts 2, and you see that these people who are learning what it looks like to follow Jesus, to live their lives in submission to him, uh, they're devoted to what the apostles are teaching them. They're devoted to prayer. They share meals together. They share possessions together. And it results in what? Verse 47. They're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Math and multiplication for a mission. That mission is how to help human hearts come back into alignment with God's heart for them. Something that was broken by sin. We can move to Acts chapter 4. Uh, first four verses of Acts chapter 4 detail how Peter and John are arrested 
uh, because of them proclaiming the good news about Jesus and healing somebody. It says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But look what happens. Even as people are experiencing hardship, even as there's persecution against those who follow Jesus, what happens? Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So God continues to multiply and to add to his people so that his influence can extend throughout the earth. In Acts chapter 5, we get a little bit of taste of subtraction. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, two followers of Jesus among the people, um, are tempted and their hearts are deceived and they decide to kind of um, go together in this act of deception to deceive the apostles to say that they were giving more than they were and they're both like struck dead immediately. But then God even uses that subtraction to add to his kingdom. Because look what happens in verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As we move into the months of the early church, through the months of the early church, we come to Acts chapter 6 and we shift from simply addition to multiplication. In chapter 6, verse 1, we read these words. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. But it says in those days, the number of disciples was increasing. Here's what it says in verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So we go from addition, okay, God's influence is expanding. People are being added. They're being shaped. They're being changed. Now we're at multiplication. That word increase has to do with multiplication. Increased rapidly. That's almost like exponential multiplication, even to the point that some priests who had not yet aligned their hearts with Jesus and his way and his truth and his life, they're coming to know and their influence extends his kingdom. Acts chapter seven has the sermon of Stephen, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And the end of Stephen's message, uh, you may remember that He's stoned by those who've refused to accept Jesus. Uh, they, they take his life. And Acts chapter 8 begins this way, that there was a man named Saul there who approved of their killing him, that's Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So this persecution breaks out, and the people of God who are following Jesus are scattered, they're, they're, they're divided. They, they, they go out in separate places throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But look at verse four. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So you have these disciples of Jesus They've been multiplying. Uh, God's influence has been growing. Their hearts are changed. They're revealing a different way to live among their people in Jerusalem and it extends now to Judea and Samaria. And who are the ones sharing with those in Judea and Samaria? It's the ones that have been scattered. So we have disciples who are changed and they go and they help make more disciples. More people encounter him. And that story continues. 
I could show you Acts chapter 9, verse 31, where the increase continues. Acts chapter 11, verse 21, where the increase continues. Acts chapter 12, I think it's verse 24, where it talks about the, the word of God and the people flourishing. Um, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. That's Acts chapter 12, verse 24. We could fast forward to Acts chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. This is the picture of Acts, is that there's this multiplication, there's this addition, it's the math of the mission. God wants us to fill the earth and subdue it. He wants everyone to come to experience his goodness, his purposes. He wants people to be valued the way he values them. He wants relationships to be the way he wired them. He wants to see a world that looks like this. And so he multiplies his movement through his people, through the power of his spirit. You get to the end of the book of Acts, We find Paul in Rome, you know, the central of the Roman Empire, the headquarters of the Roman Empire, the place of influence, the the eastern part of Europe in that time. And we now have churches. Paul's been on three missionary journeys. There are churches all throughout the provinces of Asia, all throughout northern Africa, all throughout Europe, cities like Galatia and Ephesus and and Thessalonica and Colossae and and places like Phrygia and Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia and Antioch of Syria, like city after city full of people who love and submit to Jesus. God, multiplying. My voice may not come back. (coughs) God multiplying and dividing and adding and subtracting and increasing his influence as he fills the earth (coughs) and subdues it through his people. Men and women who trust and follow Jesus, who are apprentices, that's what it is to be a disciple. We are learners of his way. We learn from him and we live for him. And as people see the change in the early church, like if you, if you read this, the letters of Paul and specifically the letter to the Corinthians, uh, even the first and second letter to the Corinthians, you see cities that struggle just like we do with what is a God-honoring sexual ethic. What what honors God when it comes to sex and sexuality? And these are men and women whose lives were shaped so much by Jesus. They lived in such a way that people saw something different and they said, you know what? I want that. People who who gave to the poor and came alongside the hurting. People who who demonstrated what it was like to, to treat people differently in relationship. All the one another is mentioned in the New Testament. Love one another, comfort one another, bear with one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, um, admonish one another, and the list just goes on and on. Like that would be a different way to care for each other. And as they did, as the math of God's kingdom affected their hearts and their hearts were changed, they then were able to be his agents through the power of his spirit, not in their own strength, the power of his spirit, to help change the world. And if you are in this room and you are a disciple of Jesus, you have benefited from the math of his kingdom and the math of his mission. 
Because as the word of God spread westward and eastward, as the good news about Jesus and the new life was shared from disciple to disciple to disciple, eventually people made their way across the Atlantic Ocean and they settled the land that we live on and they helped people find a different way, the way of Jesus. And you and I are here because lives have been changed and they have shared that story with you. And God calls us to continue to be a part of his story. Children are born every day and the math of the kingdom still works, that there are people being born, there are people who need to know who he is and what he stands for. They live in the same world you and I live in, a world that's filled oftentimes with division and hatred and gossip and slander and lying and lust and the list goes on and on and on. But Jesus provides a better way. And he uses us through his math. As we are changed and transformed, we intentionally come alongside others that they may follow our example as we follow the example of Jesus. And God continues to multiply his influence in the world. Uh, That's his design. There's this powerful parable, really short though, in Luke chapter 13. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a woman who put a little bit of yeast into a whole lot of flour and the dough was completely changed. Just a little bit of yeast multiplies, consumes, and changes the dough. Uh, Some of you may be kombucha drinkers. Um, You take this tea with some sugar in it and you put this scoby or or mother uh, over the top of it and then over time, what happens? Just a few days it completely transforms the tea. It's now fermented. It's now almost carbonated is what it tastes like. It's changed it. Over time, there's transformation. That's what God wants to do through you and I. As he changes us, as we submit to him, as he subdues our hearts, as he brings our passions, our values, our interests, our our thoughts, our behavior under his rule and reign, guess what? We get to then, through his power, help other people come to experience that. We look out and we see the hurt in the world. Well, the answer is him as he multiplies that through his people. There's a world that's craving real relationship. Well, who teaches us the way of mutual submission? Who teaches us the way uh, of mutual respect? Who teaches us to to not treat people like commodities to be consumed? Who teaches us that, that women's value is not found in their shape or their form or their anatomy, but it's found in who they are in the image of Christ? Who teaches us that sex is not for us, but it's for something powerful and beautiful and intimacy and marriage? Who helps us see the better way? It's him. And as we live that, we help other people see a better way as their lives are affected by the hurts of this world. It's the math of the kingdom. He multiplies it through his people, through the power of his spirit. How are we changed? How does that yeast consume us and transform us? We, we, we submit to him. Spiritual, spiritual disciplines are critical to the life of a disciple. We speak about this all the time. Discipleship, when we use that word, that is the intentional process of maturing, of trusting and following Jesus. It's how we continue to trust and follow Jesus more and more. And a big part of that are spiritual disciplines. Uh, We shared this last year in a series that you can't spell the word discipline without the word disciple. And what are disciplines? It's 
reading his word and meditating on it. Because why? Because it informs us about what matters to the heart of God. It informs us of how we're naturally wired by our creator, not by the things of this world. It shows us how to live as Jesus would want us to live. Prayer. We communicate with him and he speaks to us and he leads us and he guides us and he sustains us and he strengthens us and he encourages us. Silence. We meet with him and in the quiet We wrestle with those thoughts that oftentimes the rhythms of our life suppress. And he can can get a hold of our hearts. Sabbath, we rest and we remember that we are not the people that make this world go round. We are not the people that are responsible for our joy and our pleasure. We are not the people that are responsible for supplying for our needs. Only God does that. And those disciplines get us in touch with our creator so he shapes our hearts as we trust and follow him. And as we trust and follow him, We meet other people, some in our homes and some in our places of work and some in our schools and some on our teams and and some in the clubs we're a part of, whether it's social clubs or or other formal clubs. and, And we get to help them learn to discover who Jesus is and trust and follow him. And the mission of God is multiplied. It's the math of the mission of God. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, the question we need to ask ourselves in light of the math of the kingdom is this. Am I part of his equation? Is he shaping me? Is he changing me? When I look at the life of Jesus and how he lives, and I look at the words of his, uh, the scriptures he's given us, what parts of my life are yet to be transformed? I can't answer that for you. You have to answer that in the mirror of his word, in the mirror of his son. But as I submit those to him, as he subdues those things in me, it gives me the opportunity to help other people encounter him. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, May you just understand today that the whole math of his mission, beginning in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, has you in mind. Because he wants you to experience the joy of a real, intimate, and thriving relationship with him. And that's available to every one of us. As we turn from living life our way, and we submit to him and let him be king of our lives, the Lord of our lives, He forgives us and rescues us from our sin and our pasts and gives us new life in the present. Life forevermore that will be made complete and perfect when he returns. And we would love to help you discover that life if you don't know it yet. Uh, You can find out more by, I'll I'll meet with you at the front of the stage following our closing song. Um, You can scan the QR codes in our building that say, let's connect with your camera app and tell us how we can help you learn to follow Jesus. Uh, You can fill out a, copy of the connection card at communion stations if uh, you're not a techie um, or you can email us uh, connect at lebanonchristian.org and let us help you discover uh, what it looks like to live your life under the rule and reign of God so we can transform this world together let's pray God thank you God thank you just for this simple way we see math at play in your kingdom That, Father, for generations, you've been multiplying your influence through your people to draw us to you, to find the joy and the hope and the peace, the life, the meaning, the purpose that only you possess. That wherever people are today, whether they're just getting curious or they're wrestling with something Would you help them see that that you are their answer and would you help us know how to come alongside? 
Would you be honored, Father, even as I think about the song we're going to sing? Uh, what a beautiful name. And we think about your name, we think about your character, your essence, who you are, and it is beautiful, and it is wonderful. But God, you've called us to bear your name. And God, as we bear your name, may it be beautiful and wonderful as we help people find you. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us?